the belt on. But the little lad kept standing up in his seat. And this happened a number of times. Will you sit down and keep the belt on? Eventually the son realised he'd better sit down or someone might get hurt. And so he sat down and put the seatbelt on and said, Daddy, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Reluctant to do as we're told, wanting to do it our own way. And the thought came to me, um, whilst I was away actually, but and perhaps it's speaking to me, of us being reluctant messengers. Being reluctant messengers. Let's not get caught up in this story of Jonah where the fish is only mentioned in a couple of verses. Let's not get caught up as to whether it's a parable or, or literal. But let's ask, what's this inspired passage of Scripture saying to us? today and here's the first thing is that God it seems to me anyway God calls his people to go with a message and verse verse 1 of that Jonah of chapter 1 there there's no denying he was hearing from the Lord but he made his own choices as to what he did with what he was hearing and it was to go where was it to go? It was to go to Nineveh. Well, you can see here. Now, I thought I had a, a watch it on here. Never mind. I thought, how do I do the... Um, no. Ah, there. Ah, there. So, we have uh, Jonah, who's, who is from Upper Galilee, around the uh, Upper Galilee here. But he goes to Joppa, Joppa's just south of Tel Aviv as we know it today and he's been called to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is around about 500 miles away. Nineveh's around what we would know today um, up in Iraq known as Mosul. We would have heard that on the news with all the, the wars and the fightings over uh, recent years. An ancient place. And Joppa... Uh, Jonah was being called to go across land up to Nineveh. And what was he being asked to do? He was being asked to preach God's word to them. Because, we read in verse 1 and 2, its wickedness has come up before me. His, their wickedness has come up before me. And we might wonder, well, why Nineveh? And Jonah doesn't give us any description as to what Nineveh does, but Nahum, one of the other prophets of God, if you read Nahum, gives us some insights about the people of Nineveh. It says there in, in the book of uh, Nahum that they were plotting against the Lord, that they were, there was cruelty and plundering in war, that there was prostitution and witchcraft, that there was commercial exploitation. In fact, archaeologists have uncovered in the area of uh, Nineveh many pictorial displays of 
gruesome and brutal torture of their enemies. People were, were, were dismembered whilst they were still alive. Their heads were paraded on sticks through the city. People were burnt alive. This was ex-certificate stuff. They were horrible, wicked people. And certainly the enemies of Israel. I guess if we try to put it in context, if we remember something of our history, even over recent decades, of the equivalent of uh, the killing fields in Cambodia or the machete deaths of Rwanda or Hitler's millions in the concentration camps or Saddam Hussein's mass graves of ethnic cleansing and sadly it goes on and goes on but you get the picture these were not nice people and Jonah was being commissioned and called by God to go and preach to them because the wickedness had come up before God. It was hell on earth for many. And God calls Jonah to go and preach to them. It reminds me that the prophets of old weren't superhuman beings. They're just like you and me. It reminds me that present day pastors and leaders are not superhuman and super spiritual. I'm just like you too. I will have the same struggles that you have too. I will have the moments of doubt and the moments of fear and the rising anxieties and Lord do I really have to? and for me that's comforting and reassuring that God takes folk like Jonah and like you and me and he's still able to use us anyway do you remember he called Moses and he said to Moses, Now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. What was Moses' response? Great, let me at them. Where is he? We know what it was. He probably answered just like you and me. Who, me? Are you sure, Lord? Are you speaking to the right person? Surely there's somebody more qualified than me. Anyway, I'm not very good with words. Or, do you remember Gideon? Where the angel of the Lord came and appeared to Gideon and he said to Gideon, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Again, I'm guessing he'd have gone. Me? Because there was nobody else around. And what did Gideon say? Oh, great, that's pumped me up. Go on, bring it on, Lord. What am I going to do now? And then his response was, Oh, Lord, we're the weakest and the smallest clan. Have you really got this right? Surely you can't be using me. The prophet 
Jeremiah. We read that before he was born, he was set apart and appointed as a prophet to the nations. And he says, O Sovereign Lord, I said I can't speak for you. I'm too young. And there's a long history of God calling ordinary people like shepherds and fishermen and prostitutes and tax collectors. Why does he do those sorts of things? I think part of it is that they're not going to boast in their own strengths and efforts, but they're trusting God to see them through. I think it's something about when Paul wrote to the Corinthians where he said God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So, when you're hearing God's call for you, remember the people of old and remember the people around you. We're not super spiritual. We don't always get it right, but it's still the same call to go. We'd like it to be, come. But actually, the call for us is to go oops sorry to go and make disciples of all nations and it hasn't changed for thousands of years to go not in your own strength but to go in the power of the Holy Spirit to live and work to his praise and glory as one of the blessing prayers would be so what excuses do we come up with? Well, we're in good company. Too old, too young, too inexperienced, too busy. I'm not very good with words. That's just not me. And God's heard it all before. let me remind you that when we go the going is a God thing did you realise that? when we go going is a God thing because this is a God who came to us this is a God who demonstrated it by leaving the glories of heaven and coming to us born in Bethlehem as a vulnerable babe in the back of behind with inexperienced peasant parents and then of course going to the cross for you and I. He did it first. He came. He went to those that were far off and thank God that he did. And a scripture that always seems to hit me between the eyes if I ever I'm feeling sorry for myself or why me Lord or send somebody else Lord as I look on our community around us of Heartsease and Thorpe and the surrounding areas when sometimes it feels like an impossible task well it might be a challenging community but it's nothing like Nineveh and I can understand Jonah not wanting to go to Nineveh because he was likely to be made mincemeat of I'm not sure our immediate community will make mincemeat of us. 
They might shout us down. They might call us names. But whenever I'm feeling sorry for myself, Lord, I can't do this. Send someone else. Then the words of Paul writing to the Romans says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Someone's got to go in order for them to hear. And faith comes by hearing the word of God. The rest is up to them as to how they might respond. But together, it seems to me, we have a responsibility of bringing the good news of God, of God's love and forgiveness to the people of Heartsease and Thorpe and our surrounding area. And he calls us to go. He's depending on us. He can do it without us, but he's called us to this specific place to go and be salt and light, to go and love your community, to go and live counterculture, to go and be a vehicle of God's grace, to go and be an answer to someone's prayers. And the next question to ask is, so are you running with God? Or are you running away from his call? And Jonah chose to run away from the Lord. It's quite obvious. It's blatantly obvious. It's not just he's took a slight wrong turn. But he's going in the opposite direction. And it's more accurately translated, he was running away from his presence. He tried to flee from the Lord to Tarshish, so he got in the boat at Joppa and set sail to Tarshish. Tarshish is in Spain, modern day Spain today. So here we are, he jumps in the boat here. It was already up north here in Galilee. He could have then gone across land 500 miles, but instead he jumps on the boat and he seeks to go across the Mediterranean over to southern Spain as we know it today. He was trying to flee the presence of God. You see, for him, the presence of God would have been in the temple itself. It would have been where he would have met with God. And he was trying his utmost, perhaps with his hands on his ears, to make sure there was no way he was going to go to Nineveh. I mean, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? It wasn't just a mistake. It wasn't that the satnav got it wrong. He'd made a choice here. There was no way he could get to Nineveh by sea anyway. Well, you could argue he could have gone up the coast a bit. He made his choices. And he was running away from the Lord. It was the other end of their then known world. Where there was no commandments to remind him of God's faithfulness to his people 
and he hoped he could drown the voice of God. And I asked myself, where's my Tarshish? Where's the place that I might be running to? Running away from what God might be calling me to do. You know, we may not physically appear as though we've gone far. But spiritually, you could be a million miles in heart and mind. And I wonder if you're in that place, whether this is one of those moments where God is reminding you that you can't flee from his presence. That he hasn't let go of you. That he's going to badger you. That he's before you, he's behind you, he's right alongside you, as he was with Job. Who knows the reasons why you may not be wanting to do what God is calling you to do. But you can't outrun God. I remember that um, when my son was younger, in particular, uh, I used to race my son Johnny. And of course, initially when he was younger, well, I used to do a little jog and, you know, tease him a bit and, come on, keep going. And I would always win. I never let my son win, by the way. And as he got older, he would get a bit faster, so I'd have to put on a bit more of a sprint. But I would still win. But there came a day, a number of years ago now, that when we were on the beach and we were having a race, that he slaughtered me. Even with a head start. And I want to just remind you that God although he's, might, we might say he's the ancient of days, he hasn't grown old and weary and incapable that he can no longer run anymore. He's already ahead of us and at the finish line waiting to receive us home. Hallelujah. That's three of us. We can't outrun God. We can't escape from His presence. You might even argue, however bad and awkward we may have been, the psalmist says, if I go to the heights of the heavens, you're there. If I go to the depths, you're there. If I go that way and that way, somehow I keep bumping into you, God. So it's an impossible task. Oh, love that wilt not let me go, as the hymn writer wrote. So maybe this is making you feel a bit more awkward or a bit more bad, but God's not let go of you. He's not let go of you. And he's still got a job for you and I to do together. And he'll provide all the equipment. And he'll provide the right words at the right time. But God hadn't let go of Jonah and he doesn't let go of us. And it seems that God brought about those God coincidences into Jonah's life. And we see here that uh, 
Um, and those God coincidences, it seems to me, in my life anyway, causes us to reconsider our direction and to remind us of God's love for us. So we see for Jonah that he jumped in the boat there, but then the Lord sent a great wind which created a storm there on the med. Do you remember the other prodigal running away from his father, having got all his inheritance? But then he was sent a famine. And that famine got the prodigal son's attention. And he began to turn his eyes back home to the father. Sometimes those storms can come in life that can either blow us off course or get us back on course. The sailors would have been used to storms, so this must have been some mighty storm to have put the fear of God into them. And they all cried out to their gods, it says. The captain shouted, the sailors shouted, the storm shouted, and Jonah was asleep but as they all shouted, this was a wake-up call for Jonah. Maybe this is a moment of a wake-up call. For you or for me. That there's a job to be done. Wherever we might be. Are you running from God's call? Have you noticed any signposts recently? Any God coincidences that reminds us that God hasn't let go of you? Thank God that God uses reluctant messengers anyway. Oh, oh, oh I'm so glad about that, aren't you? That God used a reluctant messenger anyway. I'm not the bestest of preachers. I'm not the greatest of pastors. But God uses me anyway. And God uses you with all your idiosyncrasies. God uses you just as you are. Maybe with a word here and a word there. Living a life that demonstrates something of the grace and love of God in and through our lives. That others begin to see there's something different. We all make mistakes, and perhaps lots of them. Thank God there's a God that we can come to in whom there is forgiveness of sin. when I was sorting the garage out the other week our garage next door loads of boxes still in there and uh, trying to downsize some of them a bit and I came across a bag which had hold, which had some of our wedding wedding cards from 30 odd years ago and, but also there were some other cards and one of the cards brought back memories of a mistake I made and I sent my wife a birthday card birthday just the other week I sent a, a birthday card now I don't know about you but I don't like some of these soppy cards you can get so I usually go for a nice picture so perhaps I was in a rush 
I went for this lovely picture. This lovely picture of this lovely cottage with bluebells all around it. I mean, it was lovely. I knew my wife would love it. So I got home and I, as you are rushing, write it. I come to open up inside. I hadn't read what it said inside. Only to find when I opened it inside, it said, Welcome to your new home. <laughs> it was far too late to get anything else. So I had to score Welcome to your new home out and write my own loving words. <laughs> and she still kept it. <laughs> we can all make mistakes that's a light hearted thing but we can all make mistakes Jonah was big enough to accept that he'd got it wrong and the crew were even more terrified when they'd heard um, they'd heard who, who Jonah had worshipped who wants to be in the same boat as someone who's running from God not a very good place to be, is it? <laughs> Heck! Waiting for the brimstone and whatever else to come down. And so, the conclusion was, again, be sure your sins will find you out. They did some lots. It's landed on Jonah. Surprise, surprise. And so they decide to do a one, two, three, and they tossed him over into the sea and immediately the sea became calm and you know what that brought the sailors to their knees and they sought Yahweh the Lord God of Israel and was that the end of Jonah's story well of course you'd expect that but we discover in something of this story that Jonah was an indigestible light snack for this fish or monster. And so he was vomited up, we assume, on the shores back on the Mediterranean coast there at Joppa. And what was the consequences of throwing him overboard? The sailors prayed for mercy to God. They offered sacrifices and made vows to him. So even when Jonah was running the opposite direction, God still used him to speak to the people around him. How amazing is that? So just when you think, I've wasted so much time going this direction and I should have followed what God was doing. Yes, you should. But who knows what God may have been doing with you whilst you've been running in the wrong direction. And maybe you'll never know until eternity. Because he wasn't sent to the sailors. He was sent to Nineveh. But even so, the repercussions of all that was that God still used him and that sailors cried out to God. And also that for Jonah, it wasn't the end of his story. Even though he was willing to sacrifice his life, and he still had a second chance to fulfill God's call on his life. And the call remains the same. 
God uses reluctant messengers anyway. And he said, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. It was a renewed call. It was a second chance. Maybe this morning is a renewed call and a second chance. Come on, get serious with God. Come on, stop being lukewarm. Come on, go back to the first priority, your first love. Maybe God's saying something like that this morning. Stop dilly-dallying. Stop meandering and wandering all over the show. Stop wondering why God's using them and he's not using me. Well, maybe this is a bit of a full stop bringing us to attention, a wake-up call and God's renewed call and saying, come on, get right with me. I am a God of forgiveness. I'm a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. And I can still use me, use you. No, ignore the, I'm neither use nor ornament to anybody else. You might be to anybody else, but to him, in the potter's hands, he's able to do that which seems remarkable and amazing. And so he calls him again. Do you know what? I'm glad Jonah responded because I couldn't go for all that again, could you? On the sea and being thrown over again. I'm glad he responded. He might have been reluctant, but he was obedient, used by God. And the result of that was a transformed great city to a great God. And so he travels to Nineveh. It's estimated it would have took him about a month to get there. So there was plenty of time to back out. But he continued on the journey to Nineveh. And having traveled there all that way, he only had eight words to proclaim. And in Hebrew, it's only five words to proclaim and his message was 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned right I'm off what a challenge only 8 words I guess if I stood up and said I've only got 8 words you might say that's a miracle too but if you only had 8 words to share with someone who didn't know God what might you say if you had a limited moment in time, what might you say? I guess it's not eight words, but John 3.16 immediately springs to mind. If there's any verse you could remember and share. And if all else, then at least you can give them a snapshot of your encounter, your story with God. But he had eight words or five words. No PowerPoints, no photocopying his lectures, no waving his hands in a whole, wholly authoritative style, just being Jonah. Just being you. Jonah simply delivered what God had given him to say and he left the rest to God. And maybe God is asking us to simply be faithful that when opportunities arise, we pray and we trust He'll give us the right words to say and allow God by His Spirit to move and change people. Some might argue that Jonah was one of the great evangelists. <laughs> Actually, it was God. It was God who was reaching out to that wicked generation and Jonah began to preach God's message to them. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. 
Overturned can have a couple of understandings. It can mean overturned as being destroyed or it can be turned around. Destroyed or turned around as in repentance. And I suspect the Ninevites interpreted the overturned as fire and brimstone and yet in the end we have to conclude it meant turn around. And by Jonah chapter 3 and verse 5, we read there, the Ninevites believed God. Can you imagine that happening? In any of, try and think of any wicked part of our world. And when they heard God's message, they turned in repentance and they believed God. It was nothing to do with Jonah. It was all to do with God. Remarkable. The sworn enemies of Israel repented and believed God. So this is a story about God's grace and forgiveness and the the portion of scripture on the the notices this week is from 2 Peter 3 that he's patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance I'm so glad that God is able to use reluctant messengers like you and me so the next time you feel like God can't use you just remember that Noah was drunk that Abraham was too old, that Jacob was a liar, that Joseph was abused, that Moses possibly had a stutter, that Gideon was afraid, that Samson had long hair and was a womanizer, that Rahab was a prostitute, that Jeremiah and Timothy were said to be too young, that King David had an affair and was a murderer, that Elijah was suicidal, that Isaiah preached naked, that Jonah ran from God, that Naomi was a widow, that Job went bankrupt, that John the Baptist ate bugs, that Peter denied Christ, that the disciples fell asleep while praying, that Martha worried about everything, that the Samaritan woman was divorced more than once, that Zacchaeus was too small and that Lazarus was dead. And yet God used everyone and more. So, no more excuses. God can use you to your full potential. Besides, you aren't the message. You're just the messenger. So maybe you're one of those hopeless cases who have thrown God's love and grace in his face and have chosen your own way or you know someone who appears to be far from God. Let me say, God is holding his hand out towards you and giving you another opportunity. Turn to me but he leaves the choice to you. Nineveh was important to God, even if it wasn't important to Jonah. 
and we see God respond to genuine repentance. Calling all reluctant messengers to go and allow God to use you anyway. We give thanks to God for his word. Amen. Shall we just pray?